Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, the Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make it nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And we have my co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja. Specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. I am very excited because today we're going to be talking about galas. Galas are a mainstay of any development plan. But we've all been to them, and we've seen them thrown very badly, uh, or maybe we've seen 10 of them thrown very badly. So today we wanted to take a look at the logistics of throwing the perfect party that each of us and our guests would rave about for years to come. And I asked Marjorie if we could get a very special guest, and you found one, didn't you? Yeah, and you know, Natalie, sometimes we don't have to go very far to find our experts. This time I had to, like, take 10 steps from my desk to find <laughs> our very own development director at my organization, Mind's Eye, Jason Frazier. Welcome, Jason, to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I've been here at Minds Eye. First of all, thank you guys for having me on the show today. Very happy that my boss can do good work, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always a good thing, too. Um, I've been here at Minds Eye for four and a half years now. It seems like that has went by very fast. Very and, fast. In various roles, so... um I like events. I always have. Even before my background of being here, I used to do some event planning on, my, on, my, on the side for my own company uh, with just nightclub events. So it's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but uh, it's still an event. Uh, it's still the key logistics and organizing it still has some of the same key elements to it as well. And there's so much to be said about galas, and there's so many different elements and pieces, and we could spend probably three hours on this particular show mm-hmm. talking about all those pieces so today we're really going to just try to break it down to the nuts and bolts of the event itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll perhaps in future episodes uh, be able to tackle some of those other elements and areas and really dig deep. But uh, it's exciting that we start talking about this and we looking at galas. Really, it's all about setting a realistic budget and a realistic timeline. Don't you think, Marjorie? That is a huge piece. I mean, being able to take a look at the budget and um, find you know how much is your room rental going to cost? How much are your food and beverage going to cost? Uh, equipment, speaker fees, travel. You know, Jason, we've done a, done a lot of that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. And it's always, you know, kind of going, it's, it's usually best to do this stuff kind of right after you get done with the last game, like the yes. day, the week after that, where you can kind of, you have that full in your mind of what worked, what went well, what you liked about that particular venue, maybe something, things you want to upgrade. So, um, a lot of that planning starts, you know, you think you have from February, in our case, February to February to the next, uh, soiree, but really it's, uh, soon as, uh, February 17th is done. We'll probably be planning for that event on February 18th. Exactly. And I think the thing to really look at um, when you're even thinking about doing an event is to look at the return on investment on the event and really look at what your expenses are going to be. Look at what your staff time is going to be in it. Because I, I know, Jason, we've we've gone back and forth about this a lot of times. It's like, you know, how much staff time is going to this event? What are we making off of it? You know, when we take staff salaries into account, how much are we really raising? And I think that's an important thing to look at, too. And also, I think the other piece, too, um, I know you look at your budgets, you look at your venues and things like that, but also one thing I usually like to try to do ahead of time too is looking, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but look at your committees because your committees really, mm-hmm. um, they can really make or break your event and really help you with the stress level you have that you put on your staff too as well. Oh, absolutely. A good committee. Oh my gosh. Not only does that save you time and money with a good committee. But wow, it just, it opens up the event so much. Actually, we had a really great show. I don't think Natalie wasn't quite with us yet. Um, really great show with Mary Valoni. Um, I think it was episode four, which we'll link in, um, talking about how to build like a 
really awesome committee. Um, I'd recommend anybody, if you haven't listened to that show, go back. I, you know, probably one of our best shows. She, she was great. <laughs> so, Jason, when you're putting a committee together, what type of people are you looking for? What type of characteristics do they have or what kind of connections do they have to your organization? Um, so the, the first thing I want to say, I guess I have a, in fact, I always have a wish list. So I'll start out and I'll have people that maybe I've encountered throughout the year. I've known in the past and worked with them. I know they have, they can, I can see a fit that they had had, they would, be in this committee to really help the gala go a little bit further than it did this year and, you know, take that extra mile. Um, but the, the one thing I always like and I always, it happens rarely, but when you get that, that person who maybe attended the gala or is just walking around the building here at Mind's Eye and says, Hey, I would like to be in your soiree committee. Um, those are the type of people you want because you know they're instantly engaged. They have interest, a passion for what you do at your organization, so they usually make the strongest committee members. Yeah, those are called unicorns in <laughs> committees, right? You don't see them often. When they do, you should take a picture and can carry them with you at all times. Definitely, because a lot of times, you know, people want to help out, and with hair, it minds our primary function is the reading of the newspapers and our live broadcast, so a lot of our volunteers come in for that specifically. Mm-hmm. So trying to get some of those to transition to being event volunteers is a little difficult because um, it's something they may have not thought they were, they didn't have that skill set, but you have particular areas like as far as, uh, PR, um, as galas or dinner auctions asking for items, sponsorships. You can kind of put them in an area where they feel comfortable. I think that's a great point because when you're putting together a gala, it's not just about raising money, although mm-hmm. that is the key element, right? It does the ROI, mm-hmm. but it's also about friend raising. It's about building relationships, connecting with relationships, stewardship, if an award ceremony or something like that is put together. Mm -hmm. So you really want to think about the multifacets also with the committee. What Mm -hmm. do they specialize in? What are they good in? What are they interested in? And aligning them with something that makes them really excited. I know I was recently approached to be on a committee for an event, and they wanted me to do one thing. And I said... Thank you so much for the opportunity to say no. Uh, and, uh, and they, and they laughed and I said, I, this is the reason why I, I cannot do that committee. And there were some restrictions on why I couldn't do it. And they said, are you interested in being on the committee? I said, absolutely. I just can't do that. And they said, tell us what you like to do in your free time. And as I went through it, we found a great alignment of something that I enjoy naturally doing. And I'm super excited to be on that committee and help that organization and that cause. So it's also about not just what you know, it's what you don't know. And what Mm -hmm. I heard you say, Jason, is asking those right questions when you Mm -hmm. don't know and finding out what's interesting to them so that they can be really excited. The worst thing you can have is a committee full of people who have not the enthusiasm to help you. Mm -hmm. And you you can't be the only enthusiastic person as a staff person. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That makes it tough. Definitely. So then one of the big things I think with planning events is uh, picking the right theme. And Jason and I have it easy. We have a built-in theme of Mardi Gras for our event. Mm -hmm. But getting there was was tough because the first couple of years of our own gala, there wasn't a set theme. It was just like, here's Mind's Eyes Gala. Um, But... I don't know. I think we could talk a little bit about, about all the different kinds of themes out there. I think if you Google gala event themes, you'll come up with like 7,000 options. But finding something that fits your organization and something that fits, you know, what you're trying to do, the time of year you're trying to do it, and I think is really, really a tricky thing. That's huge. And I, exactly what you said is on point, Marjorie. I agree 100%. It's figuring out what you need in your organization at that time and knowing your organization. Uh, and I've seen, and you've probably been there before, where you've attended events where you just see that there's the rub. 
It just doesn't seem like it fits. Like it just feels mm-hmm. a little awkward. And that's whenever the theme does not go with the mission or the organization's cause or perhaps what they're trying to accomplish. And it almost feels forced. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think with our theme being it's Mardi Gras themed dinner auction, um, it gives you that, that time stamp where you're about from your, from your, your supporters know exactly what time of year your event is. It's very key. It saves you a little bit on your marketing and advertising. They know, Hey, next year, the week before Mardi Gras, mine's asking to do their soiree pour le And also with your theme too, um, I like when things make sense for the organization. I don't like when they're just kind of, when they can kind of tie into the mission statement. Mm-hmm. Because that's another thing that you're marketing also the brand of your nonprofit. So with ours with being Soiree, Pearl of the Evening for Sight, it clearly ties into what we do here on a regular basis. The name does, so people get it, um, can come out and support and also know exactly what minds are the the listening popu or the population of minds I try to support. That's beautiful. The and other thing I really loved about that too is for the years our the chair of the event really, really wanted to focus on the masks around Mardi Gras. Um, because our organization is a site organization, so it was always focusing on the eyes of the organization. You know, mm. we're we're an eye care organ, well, not eye care, but eye organization. And those masks, you know, they gave another subtle reminder of that, which was kind of nice to fold in. That's fantastic. I also love it when organizations look and see what they want to accomplish beyond, again, just the ROI. And then use that to help guide their themes. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, if they're looking at their donor database and they have a lot of baby boomers and older in their donor database and they're really trying to attract perhaps the younger generation in within their events, maybe a traditional gala is not what they want to aim for. Maybe they want to do something more with a denim and diamonds type piece or something where children or families are involved with that mm-hmm. gala, really trying to bring in that younger audience. So you can figure out what you need as an organization and apply that to picking your theme as well. Absolutely. That's, and that can be a tough thing to do if you're going to be extending out, going past the the, the regular gala. You know, the, I think we we talked a little bit about an event you did with, with children at one point. Which, yes. You know, that, that's got to be a little tricky to come up with events for we, that. We put together a tea party and mm-hmm. it was done on a afternoon of a weekend and children came with their own stuffed mm-hmm. animals and they had a great time and the moms and grandmoms enjoyed it very much. And we eventually evolved that into an evening gala, but it took us some time to be able to cultivate the strong women in the household to be able to be familiar with our organization and then value the mission mm-hmm. of our organization. And once that took place, then we were able to make the next leap into now we're going to have an evening because the women were connected to that. Um, you know, no men willingly puts on a tuxedo, but uh, we'll do lots of things for the woman in their life. Uh, and so uh, it was really the women in that committee, uh, the chairperson of that committee who really helped to make that linkage happen and make it work. Because I think when you find out, like when you have a certain gala and because uh, around here, we're doing the show mainly because there's a lot. Every nonprofit around here nationwide seems like a gala is one of their key events. So if you don't have a proper theme that makes you kind of stand out, you're just another day on the calendar, mm-hmm. another event on the calendar. So that way, if you can make yourself stand out, have something different, um, something for your supporters and maybe people who don't even know of you look forward to, uh, gives you a leg up. And I th- think that's a great point because you often have things that are unique and special to you as well that you can use to highlight your gala. So we recommended, of course, you know, going into Google and typing in gala themes and having the world as your fingertips. But a lot of things can be in your own backyard. So if you have access to uh, a beautiful the patio, for example, maybe it's more of a patio themed, you know, evening cocktail type piece. If you have access to uh, animals, then maybe you incorporate that 
somehow into what you're doing. So you had mentioned, you know, what you do with yours with regards to eyes and vision and connecting those dots. So uh, sometimes looking for your unique, your unique concept starts at home and looking at what you have that's really unique. It stands out about your organization. Absolutely. I think anytime you can make it special, the better. I think one thing that you said earlier too, Natalie, that I just want to point out to everybody because I so often, our, our, our gala has grown to be fairly successful for an organization our size. It's sometimes making up almost a fifth of our budget, which is great. And I get people, you know, saying, oh, we want to throw a gala because we want to make that kind of money. We're in our 13th year. Mm. And the one thing that a lot of people forget is that galas don't throw, don't raise a ton of money in their first couple of years. It's a slow build. Um, you got a labor of love. love. Yeah. I mean, unless you're one of those organizations that has that built-in group already that's, you know, going to, to go to your event and spend money on it and you're going to get your sponsors and you've got that group and you've got that, all that infrastructure already laid. You know, it's, you're not going to make hundreds of thousand dollars in the first year. Right. Um, unless you've got a really fantastic development director. Right. right. <laughs> and, and a really committed And committee. Jason's not available. Jason's yeah, Jason's here. Not <laughs> <in his life>. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the expenses that go mm-hmm. into, because the, the expenses that eat into that, that net revenue mm-hmm. and, uh, really things that we are inevitably have to take care of that, that can trip us up a little bit. Uh, so we're talking about, valet parking or do we do traditional parking? So I always look at valet and say, who are my guests? Where is my venue? What do they need and what do they expect? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can answer those questions, then you will know whether or not valet is, quote, necessary. Uh, so if you're planning an event and they are in ball gowns and high heels and you are at that you show me a woman that wants to walk uh, three steps in high heels and I'll show you a liar, right? Mm-hmm. My husband even calls them valet shoes. He doesn't call them high heels. Uh, so then perhaps, yes, if you have something that's, you know, more casual, then maybe it's not, you know, appropriate. Uh, or if you're planning on having your donors spend significant dollars as compared to uh, your organization, not everybody else's organization, just yours. If you're asking them to make that huge step that night, then perhaps you want to make sure you set the stage by having valet and mm-hmm. saying, hey, we're treating you because we know you're going to treat us. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else goes into some of those amenities and things that we pick out and plan that sometimes maybe slip through the cracks? I think a lot of times people will get like, of course, the big things such as your venue, food. Um, if you have some kind of special entertainment, like a band or something like that there too. But I think sometimes people forget about the little things. Like for example, if you have where you give out awards, um, that's an expense as well. Mm-hmm. If you're actually your photographer, your, um, mm-hmm. just, just different things of that nature, your checkout process, cause there's fees attached to that. There's just different things that oh, keep coming credit up. Credit card machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't just, tell you how many events I've been to where that's the last minute. <laughs> ah, yeah, right. And people forget about those expenses because they're just focused on the big ones, the ones that are the easiest to pinpoint. And then when you get that closer and closer to the event, things just start adding up mm-hmm. and adding up. So you always have to make sure that you budget accordingly for those two as well. Do you have any rules about picking your MC for your event? I've heard lots of different people how they pick it, but do you have something that seems to work well for you? Ours is pretty easy because we've had the same one since we, mm-hmm. well, it's way before me. They've mm-hmm. um, been emceeing the event. The auctioneer has always been kind of a, a flux thing since I've been mm-hmm. here. We seem to be set on one now, but I think with your MC, you want someone that also does have kind of goes with your committee members. Um, someone that has a little bit of compassion for your cause. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can pay somebody to be the MC for the event. Um, but there's an expense, yeah, right? Yeah, there's, there's another expense, right. but also you don't get that natural connection whenever yeah. they're talking about your event or talking about your volunteers or the people who benefit from your organization. They fully understand, and it, it comes across to the audience when they're giving those speeches um, throughout the night or when they're talking about certain events throughout the night. Your audience can kind of feel that connection. 
I have organizations that have asked me before whether or not their executive director should be their MC because they lead the organization. And, you know, in this case, you know, Marjorie is obviously very articulate and a great speaker, but the last place I would want my CEO, my executive director, whatever you call that, mm-hmm. tied up for the whole night is behind the microphone. I want you work in the room. I want you shaking hands. I want you being able to be out there and really helping that cultivation process and that stewardship process. And so that's what, that's what I feel about that. Granted, I'm going to want the mic for at least five, 10, 20 minutes. I think it'd be awkward (laughs) if you weren't up there for a bit, but But yeah, it's, um, and that is one thing, you know, we, we've talked about actually one year we had a, just to throw a horror story in there. Um, one year we had our, this is the one year that the MC who was a local weatherman, um, in St. Louis and, uh, he couldn't come because we were having a blizzard and we oh. decided to throw the event anyways. Um, because I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, I <laughs> grew up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, so <laughs> that bad is a little relative. When the MC um, is the weather person and they say the weather is too bad for them to get there, that should yeah. be your hint. <laughs> yeah. So we did it anyways. And, um, <laughs> he had to cancel at the last minute cause he had to work. And, um, so I ended up being the MC and the auctioneer that year. And, uh, we raised more money than the year before because I think our guests felt really bad for us there once it showed. <laughs> but, um, it, no, it was, it wasn't a good event in that way because, you know, I was tied up the whole night. I like, I was on top you of everything. You miss that connection, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a struggle. And even with our case, you would think, well, cause we work at, we're a radio station. Mm-hmm. So of course, most of the people on staff have good voices. They're mm-hmm. trained in, Kind of, I won't say necessarily emceeing an event, but you know, having that presence, yeah. uh, when you're in front of a microphone and we don't even contemplate having someone host the event that's on our staff because mm-hmm. there's just so many different things with us being a small staff that we need to make sure we're attending to that whole night. Right. Like you said, having someone tied up in the microphone for the whole entire event, um, sounds nightmarish to me. I just saw all these things in my head and it was, it was a bad picture. <laughs> what about accessibility options? So we uh, think often perhaps of, well, we want to make sure when we're playing the menu, if they've got any sort of allergies or food allergies, that we plan that ahead with the chef. But there's so many other accessibility concerns and thoughts we should think about, especially if we're using, for example, an outdoors event. So mm-hmm. what types of things goes through as an organization specifically, especially that, that that's the top of mind? What or What should we as other nonprofits think about? Um, you got to think about the people you serve, like, for example, um, are just, we serve the blind and visually impaired. So one of our biggest things when we're thinking about accessibility is we can't have an event that's not accessible to our main constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, simple things such as we try it whenever the food, we don't, we haven't served our food as far as like a table setting. It's usually a buffet style, mm-hmm. but we make sure the table or the blind visually impaired guests are right next to the buffet and they're the, trying to make sure they're the first ones to go because it's, you know, it doesn't really work out that well. They're middle of the line. It kind of take, slows down the process. So we make sure they're, they're taken care of first. Just little things like that. Um, as far as making sure you have with it being a silent auction at our event too, uh, we make sure that we have attendance so they can take around the blind and visually impaired guests to make sure they're able to, uh, read what's on the tables, tell them what the items look like describe to them what's going on so that way they are still able to bid on those items, even though they may not be able to get up and go to them themselves and they didn't have that attended. That's fantastic. The other thing to think about, too, is, you know, mobile, people with mobility challenges, um, you know, it's not necessarily always the people in the wheelchair. I think every one of us and anybody listening has several donors that are going to show up with canes or walkers or something like that that may be unexpected or maybe just part of their life. 
um, you know, make sure you're thinking about the layout of your room and making sure people can get through with those sorts of things um, and making sure we have a donor who has been with us for years who has some mobility challenges, but not all the time. And so it's really important for us to make sure that she's somewhere that she can be close to everything, too. And, you know, if she's having a bad day, she doesn't have to walk a lot. Good ideas. So, Good ideas. Yeah. Jason, you brought up the menu, so I want to just touch on that for a second because you say you use a buffet style, and I know some people use buffet, some people use service, and I people will ask me, well, how do you know what you want to do? And I think it depends on, again, the casual or the non-casual atmosphere of the room. Mm-hmm. I think it uh, depends on cost because mm-hmm. there's an additional cost for that service. So, again, going back to the, you know, the whole point is to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think there's also the layout of the room. Some rooms, depending on how you put the layout, it just is not conducive to be able to have serve. Uh, you'll mm-hmm. have all those people walking in and out and they're bumping into people and it just doesn't seem to work. So mm-hmm. I think that's when you have to have your venue and your event manager there at the venue being able to really talk to the chef, talk to the banquet manager, discuss what those logistics look like and listen to them. So when they say to you, this won't work because... They know they know what they're doing. They've done this before. And so then talk about options or alternatives uh, to be able to make that space if that's where you want it to be uh, to work for you. And I think on the other hand, you mentioned, some, you know, talking to the venue. One thing you also have to relay as well is if you are an organization that deals with the blind and vision impaired like we are, like at Mind's Eye, that a lot of times that those venues don't have an idea of how, you know, really – working with that same clientele. So you had to kind of tell them things about, you know, how they're serving things or there's a table, certain table like 13 has majority of the, the patrons of that table are blind and visually impaired. Like you can't just go around holding out the hors d'oeuvres mm-hmm. and expecting them to see it. You have to make sure that you're announcing it as you're walking past the table. Great um, point. Th- things like that too as well. But a lot of it comes down to cost. Um, whenever you're doing, you know, your buffet or stations compared to mm-hmm. uh, your plate at dinner, I think what we aim to do, I know what we try to do is keep the cost down. And whenever you're looking at an extra $30 per for a plate of dinner compared to a serving station, that means you have to raise your ticket price and then your tickets have to go up and that may scare away some of your longtime supporters. So we try to make ours as affordable as possible compared to most gables around town. Great. Good things to consider for our listeners. So I appreciate that very much. Um, we have a few minutes left. I want to kind of go mm-hmm. in a little bit to just the invitations and just really snorkel on it. Yeah. So lots so you got to get them there. Right? Uh, yeah, that would be helpful. Uh, social media is great, but it's not an invitation. Please remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, so how do you use uh, invitations to be able to reach your guests? Are we talking about postcards? Do you prefer something with an envelope? Uh, do you do a save the date? And how does social media feed into all that? Because it can support, but it shouldn't. It should be your crutch, but not your your entire invitation? Um, I think we will. Last year, I know, for example, we used to save the date, and it's kind of key for us because there's a certain part of the year with this being a certain uh, United Way type organization. We can't fundraise through certain parts of the year. Mm-hmm. So by the time we're able to do that, it's November. Our event's in February, so we try to send those out in August or September, early September sometime to let them know, like, hey, this, this event is going on, not really selling tickets. Then we have usually a ticket drive in November and we send out invitations as well. Um, both, you know, the personal ones that go straight out the snail mail and also the ones that are online and do like a media, social media drive too, okay. um, for tickets right away. Good. So great things to remember, Marjorie, whenever yeah. you're putting together an invitation. What are some tips that you've used? 
Uh, so one of the things, and again, this, you know, a lot of it feeds into us being an organization that serves people with visual impairments, but you have to remember that there's a lot of people out there that aren't going to say they have visual impairments, but still have some trouble seeing everything. So one of the things that I've started to do is to hold up our invitation once we're pretty sure we're there, kind of hold it out kind of far away from everybody and say, can, can everybody read this? Because a lot of times, you know, you get pretty and pretty, mm. pretty sometimes is fine lines and cursive and it's really hard to read or maybe it's yellow on blue or something like that and difficult colors to deal with. So um, I think that's a good tip for just about every um, every organization out there because you all have old donors um, whose sight just isn't what it used to be. So that's a big one for us. Um, another big one is, is just making sure that you get all the information, but not all the information. Mm. Um, we've had some very cluttered invitations mm-hmm. over the years trying to get just every piece of information we knew at the time. And sometimes you just need the basics. Most of the time, the donors are going to throw them away before they get to the event anyway. And another thing is people think like whenever you have a bunch of words on something, sometimes people are like, I don't want to bother reading. That's too much. Mm -hmm. There's too much writing on that. Or like Mm -hmm. like you said, the color scheme can be a little too loud for some Mm -hmm. people's viewing interest and they don't bother to read the invitation. So they're tuned out before they even get a chance to look at it. Exactly. I think one of the big aha moments I had with an organization when we converted our event to a gala is the first year we sent out this great invitation and we were so proud of it. It had been proofread by, you know, 14 million people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we realized that we did not put a, I'm sorry, I can't attend, but please accept my donation of checkbox. That's the best checkbox. You got to have that. <laughs> and we missed it. And now people still, even though it didn't have it on there, they would send us a little note back. Mm-hmm. Uh, God bless them. And they mm-hmm. would tell us, thank you. I'm sorry. I forgot. But those little things that you just tend to forget. And I know we referenced it in some of the articles that we use for mm-hmm. research today. And we'll post some of those up there uh, on checklists and such. But I really think those little things that you just don't think about, you know, can make a big impact to the bottom line dollar. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We actually did one several years ago where we we so we always send our, our invitations out in the calendar year before the event because it's a February event. And, you know, all the invitations said, you know, February 15th, you know, 2014, but the event was in 2015. And we spent a significant amount of time putting little stickers over it to cover it up and kind of make it look like we meant, you know, we meant (laughs) to highlight the date in this manner. Um, And every nonprofit listener out there is going, oh, we've been there. Yeah, (laughs) we've all been there. We've made those mistakes. I mean, we the whole staff proof, rather. It wasn't just, it wasn't Mm. something that you can, you can do. So, but, you know, getting the guests there is really important. But what do you do with them once they get there? Where do you sit, sit them? Mm. You know, do we have open seating? Do we put them at tables together? You know, what do you guys think? (laughs) I've done events with both. I've done events where we've done open seating. Uh, It was more of a family style because it made much more sense for us to do open seating for families. People could just kind of pick a table and crash with each other. It worked. We had a few people came up, said, we don't have anywhere to go. And I'm like, oh, it's no problem. We'll just, we'll move some people around. And as long as, as soon as you talk to someone in open seating, they're happy mm-hmm. to do so. But there's no um, front of the room. There's no back of the room in those types of situations. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's prime seating, if you will. Uh, but I often find that it's stressful on the guests when you do open seating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd much rather just say, please tell me where to go and where to sit so I don't offend anybody. That's really the goal of the guests. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think another thing with, another problem with open seating um, is when you have, just say you have a sponsor who has like seven tickets. And they're like that odd number and you have, they, they get there a little bit later and there's a table and only has three seats left. There's a table there with four seats left. Then they're telling you like, Hey, we're upset. We didn't get to sit by one another. <laughs> so you pick your favorites and then everybody else goes to the <laughs> yeah. exile yeah. island, huh? Yeah. So that way that you're making sure your sponsors are there. You want to come together and sit together all sitting by each other and it makes them happy. That's why I was a good at like, oh, I like the assigned seating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I like to keep the sponsors happy, and I think that's a good way to do so. Oh, I agree. I want them to feel like they missed out spending time with their uh one of their their cousins or mom who came in town for the event, and they didn't get to sit by them. So I was actually reading an article in, in Vogue about um the Met Gala, which is probably the nonprofit gala mm-hmm. there is. Uh, they do some really fancy things, but they were suggesting even going so far as as you know doing creative seating assignments, trying to make it sure that you know because you know your guests in most mm-hmm. cases. Make, make it so people would have good conversations. They went so far as saying, don't seat husbands and wives at the same table. And I thought, that is some crazy talk right oh, there. <laughs> so yeah. I certainly know some husbands and wives, and maybe they would like that. You know, the wife <laughs> could just take that credit card and go buy all the oh. things. And, and the husband would panic in the yeah. corner. Be <laughs> I have had uh, my favorite type of seating is whenever you do have assigned seating, but you don't assign the individual chairs. Mm-hmm. So that instead of you saying you're in chair number one or chair number, you're having mm-hmm. those it's just saying you're at table number eight. And I know yeah. that there's eight people at that place and there's table number eight. And mm-hmm. it allows you to kind of mix up and look and see who else is going to be there. And you can pick kind of where you'd like to be at that table. Mm-hmm. So it gives them some freedom, but yet also Not some security. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite gala moments ever, though, it has to come from that particular assignment. So we had everyone with the table assignments and we had my CEO come up to me very shortly before we rang dinner chimes and said, there, there's a problem. There's two people at my table sitting at my table and I don't know who they are. And my sister and her uh, husband now have no place to sit. Um, who are these people and why did they get at my table? And I said, I don't know. Let me find out. And of course, through creative questioning, I find out who they are. And uh, I said, you know, well, we're happy that you're here tonight. Did you get your table assignments? Oh yeah, we did. And there was this awkward pause. And so I went to my CEO and I said, so they know they're, Get, they, they got a table assignment. They know that they're at the, they have to know they're at the wrong table. Uh, your choice, your call. Do you want me to move them? Or she's like, no, I'll just tell my sister to move at a different table. <laughs> and her sister and her husband sat at a different table mm-hmm. and enjoyed the company of guests they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I do remember the next year she said, please make sure the people that sit at my table are the people who I've invited specifically to sit at my table. Yeah. And, um, that was an awkward moment for, for all of us. Luckily we never told the guests that they still to this day don't know. So it's oh, a good thing. So now they know. Yeah. Jason, in our last second, tell us your favorite the gala moment ever. Favorite gala moment ever. Um, I guess I always focus on the most previous because I think uh, we had one of our biggest supporters, and they just told me over and over again because we changed venues, did a lot of different things this year, and they just told me how much they really appreciated how we, I want to say, just elevated ourselves or elevated our gala this year, and then um, checkout process went out, went through without a hitch this year. So I was very happy about that too. Oh, the checkout process. We can do a whole show on, I think we might do, <laughs> we a, whole might do show, a whole show on that, on the checkout process. And I think and- that's feedback is crucial. So if our listeners today are supporters of nonprofits or volunteers in nonprofits, please remember that the staff, they work so hard and you know it and I know it in those crucial moments. You can hear from Jason in the, in the heart and his voice. They really appreciate those kudos that pat on the back they're not looking for big accolades. They're just asking for someone to come up and say, good job. This was great. And to let them know that you appreciated it. So think about that the next time you get your invitation in the mail. Absolutely. We hope to see you all at a gala soon. Jason, thank you for joining us today. No I, problem. We took some time. Thanks, Jason. Time your work there. And your boss will probably be upset was, about that I later. Like, you have to tell her about that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes and Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. And thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.